Are you sick and tired about hearing about female empowerment? Move over ladies, it's our turn. Just kidding. Female empowerment is much needed, but what about male empowerment? What about a channel dedicated to men, a platform to empower them to live a more fulfilled life? This is what the Afro Derivative Podcast is about. Each week I interview experts or men who have experience in key topics such as improving overall health, wealth, being more connected in key relationships, breaking down those limiting beliefs, and being open and authentic as a man. So sit back, relax, and listen now. Now, before getting to this episode, I know some of you guys haven't subscribed yet. So what you want to do right now is stop the car, pause listening, jump onto wherever you listen to your podcast, hit that subscribe button, and that really helped me reach more people, help more men, and have a bigger impact. So help me out today by doing that if you enjoyed this content, and I'll catch you guys after the show. Bye for now. Go subscribe. Do it now. Don't wait. In today's podcast, I interview John Manning from Arthur Ellis Mental Health Support. He's been established since 2017, and he actually shares in this podcast his journey with childhood trauma that helped to fuel his passion to help children with mental health. He's actually won many awards, uh, has an MKFM radio show every Sunday, he's a keynote speaker, and he casts himself as a normal chap, changing the way the nation sees, prevents, manages, and supports mental health. So if you're looking for hints, hints, tips, strategies of how to cope with mental health, then this is the perfect episode for you, because he shares a lot of the strategy he uses today to deal with his own mental health and also support others with their mental health. The idea behind Arthur Ellis is that for every adult that pays, one child gets the service for free. That's eight sessions for free. That's fantastic. So if you enjoyed this episode today, please consider subscribing and listen to the whole thing because you're going to get some awesome value. Bye for now. So today I'm with John Manning. So he's just going to share his story a little bit of how you started and where you've got up to. And to be honest, I've been quite fascinated by your journey when I first met you in NatWest Business Accelerator. You stood up on the, I don't know if you remember this in the high chairs oh yeah, yeah you yeah, shared yeah. a little bit about your journey I was like, okay that's a fascinating guy over there <laughs> and i was like oh okay then i just kind of watched from the distance and then obviously i've got to know you because we're in the same office space and yeah. you're always here i'm always here well not so much as you but then um, i'm intrigued by your journey so h- how did you get into what you started and what you do yeah <clears throat> so so i started um arthur ellis is is sort of the, the company uh, or the group of, of companies that that we now run and um, I started a couple of years ago mainly out of frustration which I think yeah. quite a lot of companies are born from um, they're the best stories and reasons and yeah usually it's it's, it's frustration not even not being able to access something yeah. or it not being there when you need it and then you develop a solution to, yeah. to suit it but um, but a couple of years ago started off Redis formally um, but really in, in relation to mental health my, my journey with that started when I was around about six years old because I, I was put into a, a children's mental health hospital um, it was the result of um, some stuff that happened to me when I was around five for a year or so and um, and really over the next 20 years it was back and forth to doctors back and mm. forth to um, either GPs or referrals into specialist services and then getting passed to other specialist services yeah. and um, and not really getting answers for what was going on and of course 
school doesn't stop through that time, through teenage years, and then work doesn't stop. You've got to kind of carry on and figure out how you um, learn to cope with what's going on outside of all of that or in your own head. So I learnt a variety of unhelpful ways to cope, um, drink and different uh, different avenues that I decided to take at the time until um, when I was around 20, 25, 26, I was lucky enough to afford to go to the Priory, which yeah. is a very high-end private mental health clinic. Um, saw one of the best psychiatrists in the world. He like consults for ITV and he goes on this morning and stuff to talk about mental health. Incredible guy. Uh, £400 an hour. What's his and, name? Uh, Dr. Neil Brenner. Okay, yeah. And um, spent an hour with him and I was very clear, like, this is my one and only appointment because otherwise yeah, I will be yeah. bankrupt. Uh, but I just need to know what's going on. And he, um, after, at that point, I'm, I, I'd, I'd had four or five different diagnoses of what was going on with my mental health. Um, and he said, this is really simple. You've got bipolar. And I, um, I sort of, asked him to describe tell me what it was yeah um and it was it just explained everything and then because i wouldn't i couldn't continue with the private care because just because of affordability um he sort of sent letters to my gp and and it took me about a year to then access um help so after the diagnosis yeah it took me a year to, to get to speak to anybody else um so throughout that time I wanted to try and solve this issue of um, people not being able to access help when they need it and people not having the knowledge of healthy coping strategies to kind of resort to other unhelpful ones that had effectively, not that I don't know if I want to sound dramatic, but effectively it it edged on ruining my life, you know, in in some aspect. So... um, so when I finally was able to access some one-to-one support through the NHS, um, I learned a variety of coping mechanisms, uh, different ways in which I was dealing with things and different tools I could use that if I did start becoming over- overwhelmed or yeah. feeling those negative things, I was able to deal with them. And since then, I haven't had a relapse. Not oh, wow. I've been able to really manage my condition and focus on it. So learning these strategies was was really so you now helpful. Functional, yeah. Functional, right? No, yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. You can function in normal <clears throat> society without feeling. Yeah, it's hard work, yeah. and you've got to you've got to commit to yeah. your wellness a lot more than um, than I suppose An to average somebody to somebody would yeah. who, who doesn't have a diagnosis. Yeah. But um, but being able to know what to do and know what to build in, you just yeah. build it into your routine, so it becomes quite. Not easy, but it, yeah. it becomes a lot easier. So, um, so I I kind of thought these things are really simple. They yeah. are they're out there in the public domain. They're all clinically approved things. Um, lots of research goes into them. So, I decided to put what people would typically access at a referral yeah. into training for individuals. So we now go into organisations. Um, I didn't develop this by myself, it was with, so I kind of put out an advert just for any help from yeah. mental health professionals <laughs> yeah. to say, look, come and help me, I've got this idea, I want to create it, and had nine people reach oh, out. Wow. Um, Is that to then make it more of a 
you've got the backing of the. It was credible, yeah. Because I, I think anyone could throw something together, but to make sure that these things aren't going to cause any harm yeah. or um, they they're going to accomplish what it, we yeah. need to. Um, so yeah, design this training, and from there, like it was it was Arthur Ellis, and, and we now go into companies, train people in these techniques, or train people how to deliver these techniques, so that instead of as a country we are waiting to the point yeah, of needing yeah. a referral we can normalize these tools normalize these strategies so that it's almost catch people before they fall yeah almost yeah. yeah um so we we set things up in organizations to do that and then after a, a year or so of doing that um we i think in the first year it was around about a thousand people that we trained oh, wow um in it was about 13 wow. locations yeah. around the country and then um, we were able to set up a, a non-profit to deliver uh, a one-to-one service. So the one-to-one service is aimed at providing people with one-to-one support within a week of referral. Mm. Um, so at the moment, mental health services across the country, waiting times range from four weeks to 13 years. <laughs> Um, 13 years yeah the, the, what's that for the, <laughs> oh God. The, royal, the royal college of psychiatrists did a, did a bit of a survey and um, they years. found that there were some people who hadn't heard anything back from a referral oh 13 God. years on so it's just the, the state of mental health services yeah. is just a mess yeah. so that's why we need this culture change in the country to allow people with the or, or equip people with the knowledge and mm. these tools to be able to actually do something about it themselves um to not get to the point where they they need this referral in the first place, or um, if they do need a referral, then they you know to be able to access support within a week. Yeah. So we've um, we've created this kind of group of services which work together, um, not necessarily just in the support that it offers, but also financially we're able to um, provide subsidised and free children sessions. Um, as a result of our training and our work with companies, because I love that it's one adult pays, one kid gets it free. Yeah, is that the, yeah? Yeah, so, so simple. Yeah. So because we're non-profit, so yeah. we we are a we're classed as a private service, but it's non-profit, so we don't have we don't have any margins built into the work that we do on one-to-ones, and um, it's just purely about making sure people can access it. Mm. So obviously, our our mentors and the people that deliver the the sessions get. Uh, get paid for that yeah we also have to worry about um office space and all that sort of stuff so we need to build in some costs there but uh we don't have you know monumental fees Mm. so adults pay 40 pound um 20 pound of it goes to delivering their session yeah and then 20 pound we put aside so that if a kid comes and really needs some help then we're able to we're able to provide them the sessions so that's kind of yeah. how it's it's built up, and um, and yeah, we're we're two years in now, and it's with a variety of different types. So we've got some staff, we've got some people who are subcontract, yeah. and then we've got some volunteers. But we're we're about nineteen people now, oh, so wow. it's gone quite. Jeez, yeah, it's grown quite quick. So it's just a case of. From my point of view, yeah. now is managing that. The, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, because that changes dynamics, doesn't it? With yeah. you and like one other person. That's yeah, like, it's I've got a team. And it's like I can't do what I used to do. Yeah, I have to put a different hat on. It's different yeah. to what I uh, anticipated. Yeah. But has it, has it been like 
a big change, like mental shift in the way you're leading. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Must be, yeah. You can't. Um, yeah, you, I suppose when you start out, especially when you're um, by yourself, like the first before I got the the mental health practitioners in, I was yeah. just trying to test some different things um, because our our workshops and everything are very interactive. So rather than just providing someone with a bullet point list of what symptoms are, yeah. we'll group symptoms and then we'll do activities to provoke that sensation. Okay. So <clears throat> the very first workshop I did was in my kitchen. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a table either because I had to sell it because I, <laughs> uh, I was trying to make money for the company. Uh, so I didn't have any tables or anything like that and I just had my ironing board out uh, with my laptop on it. Um, just trying different things like doing star jumps and all of this yeah. sort of stuff so effectively the, the first workshop I ever did was um, was to my cat yeah. which was yeah, didn't, <laughs> I love that didn't, didn't get much of, <laughs> didn't get much of a response but um, but yeah I probably made her feel anxious <laughs> the sort of weirdness I was doing in my kitchen but um, but yeah that was that was probably where it started so you, you when you're by yourself and you're doing things um, you've got tunnel vision you can't really help that yeah. Um, you probably really can, but I, I couldn't at the time. And all you, all you do is you just see yourself, and this is what you know. These are all the things that I yeah. need to create. And then, um, so you, you get into the habit of just taking everything on yourself. Yeah. And then when you finally have people that are there to help you and, and are working with you, it's very difficult to get into the habit of completely letting go of that yeah. stuff and, and trusting people to um, to take it over, which I've found quite difficult. Yeah, it's, diff- it's definitely different because I've taken a couple of uh, students on yeah, myself yeah. work yeah. placement. And I, I used to have big teams when I was in retail and then it's been me and Farah. Mm. And then now I've got a, a team forming. It's like, wait a minute, I'm quite, it's, it's different. I like having a team against I forgot what it used to feel like yeah. to like, have people around me. It's like, yeah. okay, this, okay, they can do this, I, they can do that. I, oh, I don't have to do that bit anymore. And mm. it's, it's that wi- that shift a perspective a mindset that, that can really help it grow quicker than yeah, yeah. go with some of the things you used to do and it's not um, it's not an easy thing to get into and, and I, I felt that I had a good grip of that yeah. and then I was slowly slipping back into yeah. it so if there were members of the team that I don't know didn't didn't do things how I would yeah. so then I would yeah it's a five and you're like yeah <laughs> and then I would just think oh I'll just do it myself yeah um but in the long term, you know, I think certainly with with startup companies or small companies, there is always this um, urgency around yeah. what you need to deliver. Not not that large companies don't have that, but they have more resources. So yeah. if one person doesn't do the job right first time, which is completely unrealistic if yeah. you if you actually have <laughs> yeah. to chat about it and think about it now, but. Um, <clears throat> If that one person doesn't do something right now, you just sort of think, oh, I might as well do it myself. I just yeah. need to get this to the client or I need to you know, just get this tied off today. Yeah. But in the, in the long term of it, if you can just work with that person to get it to the standard that you want yeah. or uh, written the way that you want, then they'll just be able to, they'll be able to learn mm. and, and, and do it in the future. Long term versus short term, isn't it? Yeah, but it's quite, quite, it's quite difficult yeah. to... Um, to get your head around that, especially if you've got deadlines and yeah. stuff. Sometimes it's appropriate, sometimes it's not, but 
it uh, it gets you slowly back into that I'll just do it all myself yeah. attitude, yeah. which is really difficult. That's one of the hardest things I've found to, to, yeah, to manage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You said a lot of things there. Um, sort of go back and unpack some of it a little bit. Yeah. So, I, I love the name. So, what what, what came? What made you come um, the name? Yeah, um, I think that's a poignant point for people who don't know <coughs> the journey. Yeah, well, um, being di- bipolar is a. Um, so yeah, what is? But yeah, that's going to be another question. What well, is it exactly? Yeah, so bipolar is is basically a um, a condition that means you you're, you're unable to manage your moods. You find it difficult to manage your moods. And usually the brain uh, is able to have moods in a relatively narrow um, narrow spectrum. Yeah. So you can be sad um, if it dips like a one toggle below that, then it's depression. Yeah. Um, you can be happy or you could be ecstatic. So that's kind of the the four boundaries that a normal mind can go into. Yeah. But with a bipolar mind. Um, it kind of opens up, and I've got ten different okay. stages of oh, okay. um, of mood. So rather than having sad and then depressed, uh, and that that's being two stages, yeah. I, I've got five. So it goes really quite low. Yeah. Um, which, when when analysing depression, it kind of there's about fifteen, sixteen different symptoms, um, and usually you can be classed as being depressed if you have um, sort of symptoms covering three different aspects. Out of the 15? Yeah, I think it's like five symptoms covering three different aspects, so psychological, physical and and social uh, aspects. But with sort of bipolar depression, it covers everything, so all of them are included and it becomes quite debilitating. Um, So bipolar is uh, then on the other side of things, um, by being two, yeah. you can get really, really depressed, but then you can also get really, really ecstatic, yeah. and that's called being manic. And um, and mania is where you essentially have you, you think that you're God, um, okay. not specifically, yeah, but yeah. in kind of uh, you, you think about grand ideas and um, you rush around and you might have uh, you might talk quicker than you, you usually yeah. would with loads of different ideas and loads of excitement around ideas yeah. and those ideas even if they are kind of off the wall a little bit they are your uh, you know they are your main focus and so my last sort of episode of that um, was actually after I I uh, what brought it on was I, I slipped a couple of discs in my back I was gonna say did that was that because you were in that state at that moment in time where you well did the, yeah so yeah, there's different so can with we, with we it, spoke before about that. Yeah, yeah, with it being kind of five different stages. Yeah. So you can just be normally happy and yeah. you can be normally ecstatic and that's yeah. just like anyone else. But then if that tips over, um, and maybe if there's loads of stuff going on in your life, maybe maybe you're under a bit of stress or maybe there's loads of excitement going on, like lots of good stuff yeah. uh, happening, then it could like maybe edge over into being a dangerous level of happiness, yeah. which kind of sounds weird. Yeah, yeah. But um, but then the cycle starts, and for me, it's where I I stop sleeping, so I don't need a, I don't need as much sleep because my mind is just really engaged. Okay. So 
I'll start noticing that I might only need one or two hours a night sleep. Uh, a night sleep. Really? Um, won't be tired or anything really? like that, and that can be for three, four weeks. Jeez. Not feeling tired. Um, but the the lack of sleep will then catch up, and then you won't. Yeah. yeah, but you won't crash. Okay. The lack of sleep will then fuel the mania, so your body gets into uh, a state okay. where it needs to fight back. And by by um, in my scenario, my case anyway, everyone's individual, but in my case, the the sleep will then make me more manic because my body is fighting. The yeah. tiredness because I don't want to go to sleep. I'm yeah. I'm too excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was how I did my back in was um, I was at the gym squatting and I was rushing and yeah. rushing is part and parcel of you know I've got to get places I've got to do this yeah. I've got to do that and um, and sort of being hypermanic is is kind of the the phase before full blown manic. So I, I was probably hypermanic at that point. Slipped a couple of discs because I was euphoric and I didn't really um, felt that would do at the time. Didn't really feel yeah, it. Yeah. So I drove home. A um, couple of hours later, my body was kind of telling me that something was wrong, and I, my, someone actually took me to hospital because I'd gone white and um, just really grey. No, no, you know, my lips were pale, and I ended up having a morphine injection, staying in the hospital all night. They gave me loads of stuff that should have put me to sleep, but I didn't. Yeah. Um, part of it was also part of mania is that you can get a bit irritable and snappy. So mm. I ended up getting annoyed at the hospital and walking out at four a.m. Um, but I was—I'd had a morphine injection. Oh, I'd, yeah. So you. I'd had loads of different stuff, yeah. but I was absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, so y- your tolerance to things goes up as well. So um, sometimes if if you're in a fight or flight state yeah so, so yeah, you know think, yeah. a, a morphine injection that might put someone out yeah. if, if you're you know if you're in a state of mania then you won't really tell yeah. you've had one yeah it's really odd so you know the doctors called me a horse at the time just because they could just keep giving me stuff and I, it wouldn't affect wow. me so I was on I was prescribed uh, eight tramadol eight codeine a day um, I was on three tablets of, uh, of Valium and Jeez. Naproxen, um, and it, it wouldn't touch me at all, which wouldn't do anything. So, um, but what it did do, because Valium is a is kind of a, a uh, well, it calms you down, but yeah. it actually works against mania. But yeah. I wasn't diagnosed at the time, uh, okay. So it made it worse, and it increased my mania. So I started remodeling my bathroom um, about a week after this uh, this incident um, I got a crowbar and pulled out my wardrobe and um, just started remodeling the house and stuff and uh, then I was living at the time yeah, yeah 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 they started making notes in a, in a book because uh, I was in a waiting list at the time for some help and, um, and this is before you saw the um, yeah, this is yeah. before. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, this is before I saw went to the priory. Yeah, priory. So I, I went my appointment in the priory was in the September, and this was like in the February March time. Okay. So, um, so I had loads of different projects going on, and I started carpentry. Um, I remodeled the bathroom, um, built. Uh, I just got took out a, a built-in wardrobe to rebuild another built-in wardrobe uh, that we, I thought was better. Jeez. 
Um, do you have the skill set to do these things, by the way? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it ended up all right, yeah. but it was. Um, but no, I didn't have. I've never done anything like yeah. it before. Um, but that's kind of part and parcel of it, because even if you haven't got the the skill base, you, think you can. You definitely, yeah, you yeah. can, because you know you can do everything. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so there was a variety of things going on at that time, and it probably lasted a couple of months, um, which is, yeah, it's quite disruptive, really. Mm. Um, but you don't understand that it is, and and you have no, you know, have no concept of other things like how much how much money you're spending. Yeah. For example, so going out and buying all of this equipment, I, I must spend like three thousand pound that month Jeez. that I didn't have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just becomes really disruptive. So that's kind of the two extremes of bipolar. Yeah. Um, so I was, they don't really diagnose it lightly. There's no cure for it. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing that, it's, pu- it's pure management rather than something you can recover from. No medication with that or is it just? There's medication you can take to, um, <coughs> to, to stem it. So the issue with bipolar is that um, for, for one reason or another, that the life expectancy is your, your life expectancy kind of goes down to about fifty years old. Um, really? Yeah. Whether whether you yeah. a lot of people um, unfortunately take their own life. Um, oh, okay. Because of the depressive states, or because you know you mainly become so disruptive and it just affects your life so much. So um, I, I don't want people to quote me on this, but I think roughly eighty percent of people who have got bipolar. Um, End end their own life uh, oh, wow. one time or another. So the the life expectancy is around fifty, um, but it also brings on quite a few physical conditions. So if you let yourself get to these extremes, so really depressed or really high, um, that causes because it's such a dramatic shift in your yeah, sort yeah. of brain uh, function and your brain kind of everything that goes on. <coughs> It actually damages the brain, so um, I guess it's operating at high. Yeah, speed yeah, yeah. Like, It's almost like being 100 miles an hour down the road for like months on end. Yeah, exactly. Just can't needs rest. And, and, and if recovery. you think of it like in in the, um, if you think of it in the model of like a heartbeat, yeah. if your heart's beating, yeah. you're using up your beats, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You kind of there's only so much Wear you can do. Tear, isn't it? Yeah. Extent, yeah. So if there's the synapses in your brain firing with loads and loads of thoughts going on and loads of ideas and loads of excitement, um, what happens is if you let it go to those extremes, it causes damage. So the likeliness of you revisiting those extremes mm. becomes higher. So the periods of wellness yeah. or the periods where you're in kind of the the naught to two or the naught to three areas yeah. on the spectrum um, that becomes shorter and your periods of unwellness become longer. Yeah. So that's where um, heart conditions come into play because yeah, your yeah. body's just wearing out. Do you then overeat as well because you need energy to support all these activities? So, so on my, you get like a formulation. When you, yeah. when, you, when you go to a doctor or a psychiatrist, you get something which is called a formulation which outlines where your conditions come from, yeah. what your conditions are. Yeah. So one of my things is anorexia. You okay. wouldn't know to look at me. Yeah. Um, but I purely, I forget to eat okay. when I'm up yeah. and I overeat when I'm down. Okay. So um, 
Is that is that what normally happens in those situations? It can do. It can be. It can go either way, really. Yeah. Okay. Um, for me, whenever I'm up, I do not eat. Um, purely because eating isn't my priority. Yeah, I'm yeah, focused on these yeah, ideas. Yeah. I'm focused on the excitement. Um, and just before my back went, um, because I was in like a hypermanic, not full on manic, but hypermanic. Um, I lost. Uh, it was around three stone in about six weeks. Wow. Because Jeez. you just don't, you don't eat, you don't, you don't think about eating. You're not hungry. You don't feel anything like that. So um, I was having loads of tests. Like they thought I was ill, yeah. but yeah. it was just because I was once I, once I was diagnosed. It was like it okay, made that, sense. that makes yeah. more sense. Yeah. So yeah, it does fluctuate quite a bit. Wow. Hmm. So the um, this is a very long-winded answer, but no, no. they don't it's diagnose good. this lightly because of the impact it has on your life and uh, your future life and stuff. Uh, <coughs> so they look into family history quite yeah. a bit. So we learnt, I learned quite a lot about uh, my granddad Ellis, um, Ellis Graham, who I didn't, I never met, never knew him, but he was um, he was diagnosed with something called schizoaffective disorder, which is a combination of schizophrenia and bipolar. Mm. Um, so in the early seventies. Uh, he was he was actually taken away, put into an institution, um, and he spent sort of over thirty years there. Um, so learnt about his life. Um, Did you have any rep anyone close to him at that point in time? Do you know of? So it was my mum. He was married yeah. to my grandma. Um, that ended when he got taken away, but because oh, he okay. he was unable to manage these states, and yeah. no one at the time knew yeah. how to support him or how to deal with it. So understandably, the hospital yeah. was the best bet, really. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was. It was also like the lack of everyone's understanding and, and lack of being able to for him to manage or, or people to help him manage. So he ended up spending his life in hospital, mm. basically. And um, and then Arthur was granddad from my other side, my yeah. dad's side. So that's where Arthur Ellis came from, and it was to sort of help people manage their own stuff. Yeah, and help others manage other people's stuff yeah. and create this um, create this, this culture around the country really that's amazing so that's kind of the, the meaning of Arthur Ellis uh, in a very very long winded thing <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> I, I, I love long winded um, so going back a bit because obviously we've spoken beforehand so when you had that trauma as a child mm. what moment did it reoccur later on because you mentioned this before it was like it happened then but it doesn't come back till 10 years later is it something sometimes or yeah well, you tell me because I know we've discussed mm. it a little bit in detail before yeah so um, I don't know I, I don't think it happens in every single thing like yeah. as a standard thing but um, if, if trauma uh, any level of trauma isn't kind of dealt with or um, sorted out quite quickly afterwards yeah. um, and, and my mine was quite sustained over quite a long period of time so um, it can re or it can be triggered off uh, I think it's like 9 to 13 years later yeah so when I reached the age of 16 um, I was I was triggered off don't know what by don't know how do okay. but um, but I was triggered off in in some respect and that kind of set off a, a depressive cycle yeah um, and I also um, lost quite a lot of memory so I don't really have a, a childhood memory um, 
really handy right. at school, obviously, when you're yeah, going to be revising. Yeah. Didn't do well in my exams. But um, but also that, that kind of event, uh, it led me to sort of having a bit of an attempt. At my, I had an attempt at my life um, at that point. And I think that that's where quite a lot of children do experience issues because it's a lot of issues with kids are kind of seen as face value and seen about what's going on with them at the time yeah where they might have a stable family it's like why are you you know why are you struggling yeah you've got no reason to nice house, be struggling car, whatever yeah council there etc but there yeah. might have, there might be something that we have no idea happened yeah. years and years ago that is now having an impact on them and you, you never know that until you can explore it but that's what's quite frustrating about sort of me having that experience and now knowing that, that children and families are having to wait years for yeah, an appointment yeah. potentially um, where these things aren't being dealt with or addressed is quite concerning because it, it had such an impact at the time and yeah, yeah, I had an, I've got an incredible family and yeah. really stable and um, but it's just one of those things so yeah it was a that that kind of came up when I was sixteen, so that was that was where it kind of set off everything. As I was a bit older, things were a bit more obvious. Yeah. Um, so started. That's when I sort of started on medication. Really as well. That the first thing that's prescribed to you. Yeah. Really yeah. What that's was. medication. Yeah. Well, it was um, the the doctor, the GP at the time, um, treated me for depression because, especially with bipolar as well, you can. Um, if you're, you can imagine if you're in the, the kind of elated side or yeah. the, the high side, you, you don't go to the doctors because nothing's wrong with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just, just happy. happy I've loads yeah. of ideas. I'm well excited. Leave me alone. Yeah, um, productive. Look at him. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you only really present to a doctor as depressed until, over time, um, you're able to show more both. symptoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. So bipolar, I think the average is kind of uh, just over 13 years to diagnose it. Jeez, wow. Because you, you need to allow um, more experience of yeah. living with it to show you know, the sort of different symptoms that you get. Um, unfortunately, in the process of that, you, you do alienate a lot of people mm. and you cause quite a bit of damage. Um, not, not that, I don't think, I think in some respects, I feel I have caused the damage like yeah. to relationships, like childhood friends and all of that stuff. Um, how was that like growing up at like 14, six, 14 you said, wasn't it? Uh, 16. 16, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how was... Do you, do you remember it? I kind of remember bits of it. Was it um, I couldn't tell you what I did the year that I was 16, but I remember um, just especially when you start going out and stuff, I'll probably remember 18 onwards better. Um, but yeah, you just, if you're, if you're up and you're, you know, you become the, the life of the party and the jumping. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess at that age, it's quite like, hey, he's John. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And then there's, but there's, you know, vulnerabilities to that if, if everyone expects that from you. The pressure to keep doing it every time, isn't it? Yeah, to yeah. To an extent. Yeah, so, um, and that's when I started working as well. So work, was looking back it was really obvious to see because mm. I worked in quite a commercial environment and if you were um, if I was on it 
I, I would be top of the company, um, yeah. really able to perform, and um, even as a trainee, I was able to be, you know, top of the mm. top of the company. But then, um, but then I would have periods where I just couldn't really get out of bed. And yeah. looking back, it's really, really obvious. But at the time, you just don't know what's going on. It's really quite weird. Mm. But it's, um, but yeah, it's. Now you know, like I said, with those strategies and with the tools, it's so it's so obvious to know what to do. Yeah. Um, I was speaking to someone about it yesterday, and they sort of said, "Oh God, it's like a full time job, like <laughs> like being able yeah. to manage all of the different things." But if you're able to figure it out with someone, yeah, your your natural kind of self awareness goes up so much. Yeah, yeah. Just knowing, isn't it? Like yeah. The battle. And just like you know anyone if you can figure out and you just know that you are i don't know maybe you're responding to things a little bit more uh short than yeah. than you typically would a, a normal day or you're being a bit more aggressive or just irritable yeah. one day might be just because you're hungry yeah. it might be because something's happened in the morning um but if you're able to understand that and then figure out with yourself you yeah. know this is how I this is how I need to deal with this yeah. kind of behavior or this is how I need to deal with what I'm trying to process then it allows you to stem it and confine it a little bit more so mm. it doesn't start having a wider impact yeah. and that's where you can begin to whether you've got a mental health condition or whether you've got um, just a you know personality traits yeah, that yeah, can yeah. be disrupt disrupt disruptful disrupting yes. yeah. disruptive yeah. Um, <laughs> You can begin to control it, yeah. and then, bosh, you're manage. You're able to manage relationships better. You're able to manage yeah. um, work better, and different situations that you come up against, and just stress in general. Like we're all getting so stressed now. Yeah. But if you're able to really look and be honest with yourself about how you're dealing with stuff, how you respond to things, um, whether you've got a condition or not, you're able to. You're able to manage stuff and. That's where I think prevention comes in. Yeah. Um, if you don't have a condition, but being able to control your emotions and control um, how you feel and be honest with yourself about how you feel and other people, yeah. then you're preventing stuff from getting worse. Sense makes total sense. Okay, and then so through your childhood, do you you didn't remember anything up to that point, did you? Or was it bits and was it all hazy? You mentioned. Um, no, I don't really remember anything. It was um, there are odd things that I do remember, but um, me, our the Manning family. Yeah. Um, so I've got a, my mum, dad, and my sister. We at Christmas sometimes we do um, we do like themes. So yeah. instead of just buying random stuff, we'll have a theme. Oh, cool! That's quite exciting. Yeah, and before the the actual theme, when um, I think it was the year that I was diagnosed. That I found out that I didn't really remember stuff and everything. I think the theme was memories, like oh, really ironically. <laughs> so I got a bunch of presents that I thought were memories. <coughs> People opened them and they were like, "What's this all about?" Yeah. And it was just stuff that I had flashbacks of that I d that didn't exist. Um, wow. So I got my sister this. Uh, I have this very vivid memory of one year. Um, sitting outside her bedroom door yeah. and like carving idiot into her door yeah just as like a, i don't know whether i was annoyed with her or yeah. just like a childhood petty thing um so i 
got this like bespoke off the internet yeah. ordered this um this hand carved yeah. idiot thing and she opened it and she was like what's that from i was like oh don't you remember this and talked everyone through the whole scenario yeah, yeah, yeah. surely no you're going to remember me carving a door in the house like that's such yeah. a horrible thing for a kid to do um but it, it didn't exist it never happened and i just made it up and it was um yeah, that was sort of there's there's different things that happen now um yeah. that i think have happened but it was just my either a flashback or something that maybe i dreamt um so i don't actually have the memories but i have oh. kind of little things that i might do you have, have to then go check and just say mom did yeah. i ever do that yeah, Dad, I do. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I do. it's weird yeah. but it's um so yeah I, I don't know whether i do have any memories or, or flashbacks or whether it's just things that I've not dreamt once yeah. um, so don't really remember anything mm. to be honest it's weird <laughs> <laughs> it's weird but in some respects it's kind of nice because yeah. there's certain things that I wouldn't want to remember yeah. um, so that's a coping so mechanism of the brain then perhaps that is kind of yeah well it was when, when I was having psychology um, it was described to me as I think it's called blocking it's like a like a psychological phenomenon when um, the brain just doesn't necessarily want to remember anything so it will put yeah. all of that in a compartment that a psychologist can we, we could have opened it if we yeah. wanted to um, I decided not to uh, we because we had a we had a few sessions where it was you know do you want to explore this because yeah, yeah. there were there were certain things on the report on like medical reports or medical um, background journals and stuff uh, that explained what had happened but you can begin to I think a few of the sessions that we went through was you know what we're, what we're here to do is, is understand how to manage in the future yeah. um, and to put, put what's happened or um, put how I've been dealing with things in the past so let's learn you know learning isn't necessarily about going backwards yeah. uh, not all the time I think that you people could probably argue that and you can learn from the past yeah, I that's what I'm asking because it always fascinates me because therapies tends to be let's go to the past and pack it all yeah to currently at but coaching models more let's where we are now where we're going to move forward yeah I'm trying to work out like where does the, the two blend or mesh or does one work better than other? Is it all more about trauma when you're going through therapy or is it mm. and then like you said is it, is it better just to go with what you can cope with and have the tools to manage it going forward yeah. does that box need to be open never or will well, it pop up anyway yeah. or is it who knows it was, it was just, <laughs> it was just yeah. my personal choice at yeah. the time and, and um, I, I didn't want to I didn't want to um, to understand what had no. happened because then that uh, that that opens up a variety of questions that yeah. that come off of it, and one of those, you know, you can say, you know, what actually happened, how did it start, and then you get into whether you deserved it or anything like that, and yeah. trying to justify, you know, why did this happen? So it was, um, it was a whole box that, and the, they were great. They were the, the NHS psychologist was great yeah. uh, and she, she did give me the option but after a few sessions we decided not to just to purely focus on um, how to move forward mm. and, and that was in some respects using um, using the past so 
how you know you respond to situations yeah. and looking at looking at periods of time that would cover all of these sort of ten areas yeah, yeah. on the spectrum, and then building up ways in which you can then deal with um, those ten elements. So obviously, if you're in the the sort of plus one or plus two, yeah, or minus one or minus two, use these strategies and techniques. Well, you might not have yeah. many strategies in that respect because it's, it's, it's relatively normal. Yeah. But then, if it starts dipping here, this is the level that you need to start working on more. Yeah. Um, if it dips any further, then you, you have know, to be super aware, then, don't you? Yeah, of your own life. Yeah, constantly. Yeah, yeah. constantly aware yeah. of how you're behaving all the time. Yeah, yeah. but once it's built in, it's built in. Yeah. And like, it's like anything with the brain, I think once you get into a pattern and routine, yeah, it just becomes automatic. Yeah. Almost. <clears throat> so I do have a, a bit of a scale that I work to. It is a physical one where mm. it's literally a chart, um, and if you know if you're finding it relatively difficult at a period of time, then you can go in and check in with yourself, yeah. but. Um, I kind of now, now it's more uh, normalised. Yeah. I just refer to it as a number. So yeah. wherever I'm at that particular yeah. day or that period of time. <coughs> so it's been um, super useful, and it's just a shame that it took twenty years to get there. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But now you're using that experience to help others, which is fantastic. Mm. Which is like really commendable. Yeah, well, it was. Um, I don't. I don't do any of the one-to-one stuff, but you know the the mentors do that, yeah. and Rita, and um, and they're they're phenomenal um, people, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't choose to do what they yeah. do, to be honest, because I I get a little bit too um, there's a bit too much. It's too personal for yeah. me. So I, I get because a bit you facilitate and manage and <laughs> yeah, put I, together and create. And if I hear the stories yeah. and stuff, then it, it could have a quite an impact on me which in turn um, I won't be able to help anyone else if, yeah. I, if I go too far on the spectrum myself yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's part of the management of it yeah, yeah. but it so takes a lot of discipline no it must do yeah, yeah it's, it's like hard. anything like sticking to something and being disciplined enough to do something is hard work it's not easy yeah yeah. anything like gym whatever you're doing it's, it's yeah. hard <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, gym gym is yeah. one of the main main ones really so the team know that I go to the gym at half six every night, yeah. so I finish work, I get there. Not every night, yeah. I'm bigging myself away. <laughs> <laughs> I bench 200 four, kilos every night. Four, <laughs> it's four, four times a week is kind of my happy medium, yeah. like four times. Um, if I go three, so be it. If I go, if I go five, great. But uh, four is a, like a happy happy place yeah. where I need to be. And, and um, But yeah, so they, they know yeah. that that's super important for yeah, physical fitness is huge because like yeah. um, Farah's story is a little bit was she suffering post-natal depression and how yeah. she got through it was going for a run mm. and using that as a methodology now she, we train together obviously so we train like five times a week ideally like you said yourself right. if not four yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in and around that number but that helps her mental state um, so it's just fantastic as a tool and a, mm. and a technique or strategy to cope with yeah, life well, in general there's there's studies on antidepressants and stuff and yeah. if you're able to get the recommended amount of exercise it's the, exactly the same endorphin release as you get yeah. with antidepressants yeah. or the same effect a so lot of people still don't know that no they don't it drives me crazy still and far and as that like, mission is to try and fix some of that and that's women. where like society like if you look at unhealthy coping strategies and addiction and you know alcohol is so easy to access yeah. um, in abundance 
Yeah, <laughs> uh, and looking at a variety of other coping strategies or negative coping strategies be that people can get to, and you could say that you know just sitting and monging out in front of the TV, like Netflix. Um, yes, great once in a while. Really, really nice. There's some really interesting stuff on there, and it can give you a lot of enjoyment. But if that's solely what mm. you do, then that can be really quite damaging over time. Yeah. Um, so all of these things are so accessible, so easy, and we end up just sitting on our ass and d- doing Junk nothing. Food and and we that's don't accessible as well. Well, yeah. Music if you're, you know, if you think about what the brain needs, and um, if you're looking at depression, depression is, you know, low. You're you're releasing negative hormones. Yeah. So you need to combat that by positive hormones. Yeah. So you might look for ways to get positive hormones. One of the ways, if you are feeling depressed, to get uh, a surefire way to release good endorphins is eating junk food yeah. and eating all sugar that sort of stuff. Heart, yeah. yeah, sugar. Um, and then you start getting into this cycle. Um, and it's they're called maintenance factors. So they are coping strategies that when you turn that, to that positive or supportive yeah, yeah and they actually maintain your state yeah so if you look at the depressive cycle of staying in bed all day or like the typical kind of things that you would associate mm. with it staying in bed all day eating junk food being lethargic all of that stuff if you were to take someone who doesn't have depression and you were to give them a list of behaviors that they need to do yeah and their job was to stay in bed all day, eat junk food, they would end up depressed. Yeah. yeah. So all of those all of those sort of mental health related behaviours or poor mental health related behaviours that people associate things to, it maintains the state you're currently the in. state that you're in. So having different cope being able to spot that you're slipping into that yeah. and having coping strategies to get you out of it and break the cycle, that's how you start managing depression. So because if you're similar to bipolar, if yeah. you're if you allow yourself out of though that kind of healthy bracket and do whatever you need to so the medication helps to keep that keep that bracket uh, more refined than the 10 areas keeps it to maybe four um, so you can use medication but then you can also use things like fitness things mm. like other healthy ways of doing it so I um, so I stopped taking medication um, spoke to my nurse about it and stuff, yeah. so don't yeah. worry. It's yeah. not just <laughs> not just off One the day. wagon. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. quite a, they're quite serious things. Um, so you can't just come off of them. Unless you're weaning yourself after, reduce the dosage yeah. over yeah, time yeah, along yeah. with yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so and they're they're very because so I, I still have an open prescription for it. Yeah. So if I find myself dipping or or going up too high then I can access medication to help bring it yeah. back in. Um, but because of the you know, the lifestyle with the fitness and um, the different strategies that yeah. I have and the way that I can look at stuff, um, I, I don't necessarily need to take medication. Yeah. Do you think that the biggest thing, if people just worked on their lifestyle, worked on their food, worked on their fitness, and built in these coping strategies, most of these things will happen in most people's lives? Would that yeah. be fair to say as a sweeping statement? As a sweeping statement, it, with mental health conditions, it really depends because yeah. in, some, in some cases, people haven't got the 
um, haven't got the ability to manage stuff. Yeah. Um, the nature of the illness is that they are uh, they are unaware and they just can do yeah. things in, in that case. Um, medication's really necessary and the the negative along with medication is that it's kind of sometimes it's a necessary of two evils because mm -hmm. you can have my, my medication is really really sedative so I will sleep I will during the day I'll yeah. kind of feel so drowsy that I feel drunk um, can't drive so obviously with work that yeah. becomes an issue um, so it's it's quite debilitating really so it's you've kind of got to make that personal choice but um, of whether you risk you know you, you, you might risk relapsing if you're unable to manage all of these other healthy things yeah. that you do to help manage your condition um, or you can go down the route of, of taking medication and having that as a uh, as something that helps you um, and feel less well for me anyway yeah. it makes me feel really tired all the time yeah. I can't I can't I, I'm not the kind of person um, that can feel like that throughout the day yeah. uh, I've got um, I don't know I just got, I got so frustrated on the yeah. really frustrated because yeah. I couldn't do what I wanted to do yeah if I was um, the same she just felt like not herself no just, no so so medication is yeah. certainly something that is an individual choice and there are loads of different types so yeah. there are I don't even know how many medications there are. There's, I think there's, um, there are de certainly different types of antidepressant. There's different types of mood stabilizer, yeah. types of antipsychotic, and all of this sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm prescribed an antipsychotic, which sounds dramatic, yeah. sounds scary, um, but it, it basically helps to stem the extremities of that mood shift. Yeah. Um, but it you know, if, if I do take it, I will be, I'll be asleep within half hour. Wow. Um, and I will sleep through, if I, even if I set 10 alarms, I will just really? sleep through all of them. Yeah, you're in such a deep sleep. Um, so if you're looking at working and yeah. exercise and feeling motivated, it's not, that it's wasn't not the right route for no. me. No, no, no. It makes sense. Yeah. Really tough. Awesome, man. That's some questions. Okay. <laughs> Shoot. So I just want to ask a couple of questions. So, um, what does mental health mean to you? Because this is like banded around quite a lot recently of like what yeah. it means, and it's some re it's very in the focus right now. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, mental mental health to me means stability. If I was to sum it up like in a word, yeah, uh, I, I would say it's stability. Not necessarily just in. Um, what people might think about with with mental, stable mental health, yeah. or people might think about instability, where people are off the wall and you know psychotic, thinking yeah. things are there and they're not. But um, I think it's stability in a, in sort of every case where you can just deal with throughout a day, whatever the day might throw at you, you're able to deal with it in a in a very rational way. Yeah. Um, respond in a way that's true to you whether that is you know aggressive or whether it is uh, calm anything like that I think that if you're able to deal with situations in a, in a way that is true to your character um, that you're happy with yeah 
then that's mental health. Because a lot of people think it's always poor mental health. Mm. You know, if I was discussing the other day that it's classed as good mental health, you can be good. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. people only see the other end. No, they yeah. don't. And that's one of the exercises we do in our training. Yeah. It's to kind of demonstrate. If you say mental health to people, they think they automatically think of depression. They automatically yeah. think of Anxiety, all of the yeah. rubbish stuff in yeah. the news. Um, there's never there's never a news story celebrating someone's mental yeah, health. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, so it's, that paper uh, would not sell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you kind of yeah you get accustomed to, um, to the negative ways that it is portrayed, mm. which is a shame. But at the same time, you know, it's not positive mental health. Is like you say, it's not something people would buy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you don't really take the time to appreciate if you've had a really good day. Yeah. Um, you might say that you've had a good day, but one of the things that can be really helpful for people is if they do feel themselves dipping a little bit, or mm. just if they've had a particularly rubbish day or rubbish week, is to really put in writing and note down the stuff that they they're yeah. really grateful gratitude for. Or like, or Gra- yeah. Gratitude journals, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, Do that every day. Good, yeah, and it's bad. it's yeah. really helpful, yeah. and it's um, it's not something a lot of people do. So celebrating your positive mental health or positive things that have happened um, can be one way that that can really help you manage. Yeah, um, but unfortunately, people don't people don't really no. do it a lot. I think I've always felt like it's a bit woohoo. Like oh, yeah, to journal. Like, that's, girls do that. Yeah, well done for having a good <laughs> yeah. day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a bit like that, isn't it? We it just is, scrub yeah. people's bad day. Yeah, but check you out being happy. It's yeah. like, all right. But you never you never celebrate it like. You know, you've you've probably seen in the news where someone's relapsed or um, yeah, celebrities that have fallen yeah, off the celebrities relapsed. Yeah. That you never see a, an article where um, someone's celebrating yeah. twelve months sober or yeah. twelve months without their condition having an impact on them. You yeah. never see that. So I, I I would like to see more of more yeah. of that. that I think that's sense. that's a fundamental change that needs to happen. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. So. Um, how what is what? How has it changed over the years? Mental health then. So, would, why has it changed? A shift in it. Yeah. What, what's your thoughts on that? Realizing how much money it's costing the government. I think is that the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. How so, much is it costed? Well, have you got a number. Yeah. Well, at the minute, it's around 105 billion a year. <laughs> um, wow. UK alone. Yeah. Wow. So, in in 2007, they kind of started realizing that mental health is a thing. Um, it's starting to have quite a big impact and it, it doesn't necessarily just have an impact on you know the mental health services people are people are living every day with it and it's having an impact on work and all of that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. so at that moment in time it was reported about it was about a 26 billion pound impact and in 2012 they started to do some awareness campaigns and that's where a lot of government funded funding started getting pushed into doing these awareness campaigns but I have a little bit of a gripe with awareness um, mainly because it doesn't provide solutions it It just yeah it comes and goes but also it just it makes you aware of a problem it doesn't then actually solve it this is exactly the conversation I had the day with like um, Movember and all men's mental health anything to do with men November after that nothing yeah and it just disappears and it's Uh, forgotten about until next November and it's it's kind of I've been to a variety of awareness talks and 
it's it's someone sharing their story. Yeah. It's someone. Um, it's somebody who might provide some statistics, but it doesn't offer any value in respect of. So what what we're trying to do is bring bring tools and strategies into normal day yeah. life. Normal, so normal you do that a few times. Life. You actually give the audience something to take away. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's rather than just providing statistics, like you know we've paid you to come and do this talk but you've just given us everything that like, we could have googled yeah. it's like that doesn't do anything yeah. it just costs people money so providing that value and, and providing people that they might be able to go away and, and do something about you know what they might be experiencing i think that's where the shift needs to happen now mm. so since 2012 it was it was all awareness and it was loads of videos and loads of campaigns of people sharing their stories which yeah, people can relate to, yeah. which is wonderful, and people feel then more comfortable to reach out. But that has seen referrals in some areas of the country go up by three hundred percent. Wow! To no. GPs, and then no way of coping with that. And yeah, and then yeah. GPs refer them on because GPs can only deal with certain amounts, yeah. and, and they do a fantastic job of that. But they're restricted. Yeah. So then you have all of these people trying to access these specialist services for more one-to-one -one support or um, you know, for a different diagnosis to what the, the GP is able yeah. to, to cope with. And, um, and then that's where the, the waiting lists have just gone nuts. Um, so it, uh, it's kind of been a bit of a perfect storm of reduction in services funding yeah. and an increase in awareness, yeah. which has created this, this uh, real ineffective system in the country so um so now that's where we're trying to fill the gap the yeah fill yeah. the gap and pioneer this shift <coughs> into um being able to cope with mental health issues or, or mental health um conditions independently without needing to rely on these services yeah. the the knowledge and the, the skills to do that need to become uh, a day-to-day -day thing in life do you think they should teach us at schools yeah yeah, 100%. We have a, had a conversation over there with Sam, who's shooting break for me. He talks yeah. about all this. I don't you know him or not. Yeah. Yeah. He talks about exactly the similar thing yeah. to what you're saying. No, yeah. it needs to be in schools for sure. I yeah. think that, um, and we're trying to develop some products which um, can go into schools, which are exercises where um, kids learn psychological tools mm. that help them cope in a fun kind of way yeah, so yeah, we're, yeah. we're trying to develop these exercises and these games which um, which help them do that and it's uh, but the, the amount that society changes as well so in from you know 2007 to now yeah society is very different and there's more people on the planet yeah the population's aging um, and there's all of these different issues that are taking up priority or, or like we're just kind of firefighting type 2 diabetes one of the yeah. biggest so we're kind strains of, on the NHS we're kind yeah. of firefighting a lot but if you look at if you look back at what does mental health contribute to so we've already said about um, you know as a result of a bad day or depression your eating will change yeah as a result of your eating changing because of your mental health you may develop diabetes yeah so if we can look at how you know the rising epidemic in obesity and diabetes from a mental health aspect 
and solving yeah. the core issues. Yeah, rather than putting a band-aid on it. Yeah. yeah, so instead of investing in the core issues and the mental health services, the country is having to firefight the resulting issues yeah. of mental health issues. Yeah. Um, because there's always more to it than just I like a sandwich or like crisps or like yeah. ice cream. There's a reason behind all that, and that's to do with what you just said, isn't it? Yeah. There's yeah. something going on psychologically exactly, yeah. in someone's brain to make them act in that way. Mm. Yeah. So if we're able to, um, and, and if you look at um, knife crime in children, yeah, though that that behaviour is a result of an imbalance. That you know, going and stabbing someone isn't a rational thing. Mm. Is something that is a, a way that that person has learned how to deal with situations. And this is this is like what angle I'm thinking. Like as I said, like is it one in four fathers are not present in the home. Mm. Uh, sorry, one in four um, children don't consider the father as part of the family. Right. And they're just not around. So mm. there's an element of the balance in the family yeah. kind of skews things a lot. So like as you said, yeah, it's the imbalance there, which creates all kinds of issues. Yeah, and these yeah. these different unhealthy coping mechanisms yeah. to to deal with that or, or any other scenarios yeah. that the, the children might face and when they s begin to to be vulnerable that's when they're most at risk because they could be brought into groups that have that behavior more embedded yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah. Uh, and then they get themselves into really difficult situations and there was a i was shouting at the telly uh watching a question time once because they were having a discussion around knife crime yeah. and it was all purely focused on investing in the police force. And as, uh, as soon as children yeah. are involved in the police, it's way too late. You need to get behavioural change specialists in the school um, looking at the homes. psychology of yeah. these people. Yeah. yeah. Well, and make the change. Most of it starts from the home and then it leads to everything else, doesn't it? Yeah. Generally yeah. speaking, yeah. So it's educating and, and partly that's, that's pressure on the parents. So society's had a shift as well where um, rather than having a uh, consistent parent at home, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, yeah. but parents are under quite a lot of pressure to both be working and yeah, yeah. you know the, the empowerment of females which is incredible and I think the empowerment of females will save more men as well because if you look at previous generations where um, men have had this emphasis on them to be the all being, you know, the provider. completely strong provider yeah, yeah. and everything. You're not allowed to get unwell, you're not allowed to do anything. That has trained men not to talk yeah. or not to be vulnerable yeah, yeah. because they have to be this figurehead. So I think the empowerment of women will allow men to feel like they can speak to somebody, yeah. that they can um, be vulnerable and not, it's not all reliant on them. So the empowerment of women, I think, are gonna, is going to, the, the more. The more women that are empowered, yeah, uh, I think that there's going to be a balance, uh, uh, a correlation between the rise of empowered women and the reduction in male suicides. Yeah, you think that's a correlation that'll happen then? I'd like to do yeah. the study. No, so I'm like, interested because I'd like to do that study one day because because I think that there will be a correlation and um, and I think it is because women will be able to um, whether it is not forcing men to reach out yeah. but as as women are, are more empowered within society it will it will relieve that pressure on men um, to to feel like they need to be this kind of figurehead of, of it's interesting because like society. I was speaking to a gentleman earlier on who will be a future guest because he 
we had a very similar conversation a thought process that as the female empowerment increases mm. it kind of some of that will happen i believe but it can also displace men to think like where's my role now yeah and have to find like a not a new role but what's what's their role in terms of providing because they have to be financially but they've got to play a role mm. and he said there might be a shift because a lot of females are taking the masculine energy then there might be a, should be a shift eventually to the men taking more of a feminine yeah um, and, and then you're going to get that balance of people then men be more compassionate and open over yeah, time yeah but I think there's almost that kind of like interesting time I believe yeah well, it's and, kinda, it's, yeah. and that, that's how we res- that's, how, that's how we respond to being vulnerable and yeah. we need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable because yeah. if not we will get isolated and yeah. we'll, just, yeah. just, it's not it allowed anymore it. to be that arrogant yeah. guy in the office yeah, as much. exactly. So that's where that's. Oh, ladies, I mean, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> oh god, I hate that. I hate that. I would be out of that office. I'd be out of that office in. A you sound like you worked in an office like that, and you know exactly what I was in talking a, about. I worked in a few, yeah. yeah. Oh, god. Like right, people, darling. People, the, the, the people who know me know that I, just, I, just, I would. I would leave that office. Uh, even if I saw it happening in a window, I wouldn't yeah. go in in the first place. <laughs> oh, I hate it. So but yeah, yeah it's yeah. um I think that there's gonna be a really interesting shift and so I think that from from two thousand seven uh, and and the increase or the realisation there's an issue. Yeah. Two thousand and twelve was the beginning of the awareness and now there needs to be this this further shift into what um, next normalising these strategies yeah. and, and taking what is at the moment seen as being a you know, specialist treatment and yeah. Um, and a uh, kind of a a gold standard of mental health support yeah. or therapy or anything yeah. like that is taking what therapists do or, or taking what counsellors do or the kind of tools that they learn and they, they know bringing that into normal society yeah. so that rather than the GP being the only option, yeah. you have an array of tools available to you that you have learnt, that you know, that become part of your life, that rather than the standard exercise, the standard um, you know, physical well-being to yeah. boost your mood, um, there are a variety of other tools that are available to us as members of society yeah. that we can, we can tap into, figure out what works for us, and use those to manage whether yeah. it's situations um, or one-offs or whether it's conditions that we that we have to manage and maintain yeah I'd agree with that. the information age is fantastic for all this because yeah it's almost like having like social media has taken the I think Gary V talks like this but it's taken the, the gateway person like to be on TV you had to go to the BBC you had to do it to a Z and yeah. just film something and put it on YouTube yeah so it's taken away that gatekeeper a little bit so yeah. letting our information and distribution to everybody, and that's the kind of, is that the kind of thing you mean? Isn't it? Yeah, it's allowing yeah. everyone to access yeah, and, and, and all the I services they require. I certainly think that there is an element of you need to be trained to yes, use certain yeah. things. Yeah, um, but that that is the current perception of it. Yeah, if we were, you know, I think that once once upon a time, you wouldn't. Once upon a time, people wouldn't uh, go anywhere else apart from a carpenter to build a chair. Yeah. Now we can go to IKEA. Yeah. And we can we build chairs, we build wardrobes ourselves. Yeah. So it's just a case of framing it in such a way that it's easy to learn. Yeah. 
um, it's accessible and it's not frightening because yeah. I think that if you know 70 80, year, 80 years ago if we were to just give people loads of planks of wood and say put these together it's your yeah. new wardrobe um, <laughs> they would yeah. probably not know what to do or where to start but now because there's an instruction manual with yeah. pictures of a lovely people yeah. holding spanners uh, and it's done in such a way that is friendly. I love doing flat pack. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely <laughs> love flat pack. Um, Suzanne Manning. <laughs> yeah, I love flat pack. But it's because it's a challenge. It's therapeutic. If we can turn mental health into therapeutic tools into IKEA flat pack mindset. stuff. Yeah. So it's that's just a really yeah. awful analogy. But no, we, I get it. Makes sense. But if we can, you know, that's where we need to go. And I think in Five years' time, this yeah. will be normalised. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Awesome. Loving this. What What tips would you give to someone who's struggling with like anxiety, worry, stress, depression? Uh, well, if they're, in, if they're in, if they're in those different stages. Yeah. If if like. they are in uh, Milton Keynes, then they can yeah. refer themselves to Arthur Ellis, of course. Yeah. Cool. Um, we will see you within a week. But um, but if they wanted to do individually do something about it, first step will be. Um, to go to the GP. Yeah. So prior to the GP, there's a variety of things that um, that they can do to make that appointment easier. So you can make a, a bit of a mood journal okay. about how you've been feeling that day. It could be how maybe you've been responding to certain situations, um, how your appetite's been, how your sleep's been, that sort of thing. Because the GP isn't, you know, they're not gods. Yeah. Um, it's not what the G stands for. So <laughs> they don't know everything. So they need a bit of guidance on, on how to treat things properly. Um, so considering that is something to um, certainly start thinking about. And then speaking to other people about it. There's anxiety in particular is an emotion that we all have. Um, it just depends on how we manage it. Yeah whether it develops into a condition or not. So certainly sharing that nervousness has been heightened or maybe you've been um, been a bit more worried about situations than normal lately is certainly something to have a discussion with someone that's close to you that you trust. Um, and then begin to increase the levels in which you are maintaining your well-being. Yeah. So there are certain things that all of us do that we might not be conscious of that give us little boosts in mood, which immediately if we've had a bad day or we've had a bad, you know, we're going through a stressful period of time, whether it's work, whether it is, you know, we're going through something like a divorce yeah. or we're going through um, a bereavement, something like that, we will respond by losing the typical things that we maintain. Yeah, yeah. First thing that goals is the thing that helps you the most, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. So there are... For anyone, uh, and we do this for people who have conditions, who don't have conditions, is to list or identify those sort of three things that are your health grounded. Yeah. yeah, or that start to slip if you are having a rubbish day. Yeah. So my three things are exercise, um, sleep, and then communication. Mm. So I, I don't I don't keep up communication very well at all with friends, family, um, especially if I'm starting to dip a bit low. And yeah have a period where I'm under a lot of stress, replying to text, texts or, or phoning people back yeah. is kind of something I really neglect. 
So that's one way that I can identify that I'm yeah. starting to dip um, because I haven't responded. I've got you know ten Facebook messages that yeah. I haven't responded to yet, and it just starts mounting up and it adds to your overwhelmingness yeah, yeah. of it, which again goes back to like these maintenance factors. Yeah. So identifying what those things are that begin to to slip for you. That's super useful because that's that's a great tool. Never mm. thought of it looking like that. Well, but yeah, and, and you don't really consider it, you know. Um, so you, you, you identify quite objectively what these things are that start to slip for you. For one, one guy in our training once, it was, um, it was walking the dog. Yeah. If he's had a really good, you know, month or week, whatever, he walks the dog twice a day, like, like clockwork. Yeah. But <clears throat> as soon as he starts, um, I don't know, going through a stressful period at work or something like that, it's the last thing he wants to do at the mm. end of the day. But I, um, yeah, so with, with my three things, it's um, communication, sleep, and exercise. Yeah. Now, communication will probably be the first thing that slips. Then it will be sleep, and then it will be exercise. So those three things begin to have like a snowball effect. Yeah. So if you are going through a period where you are anxious or you're feeling slightly depressed, um, you've probably noticed that certain things have dropped off. Mm. So have a look at which one is the one that you're able to remain consistent with okay. the most. Yeah. So for me, I I don't mean I don't mean to sound horrible, but I, I, can, <laughs> I can do without the communication bit. Yeah. Like I'm okay with that. People people understand now that that's one thing that slips for me. I can yeah. communicate that with the close people around me. Um, so if they don't hear from me for a few days, they know. Um, to phone me and I'll yeah. probably answer rather than going through these array of texts yeah, or yeah. anything like that. A quick text, phone call, yeah. make sure yeah. I'm alright and that's great. Don't expect a long-winded essay back yeah. from your your text because it's overwhelming to me right now. Um, sleep is also something that can be supported for, for me and my condition. That's when I know if my sleep starts to be affected, that's when I know I need to take my meds. Yeah. So I need to jump back on them for a period of time yeah. just to make sure that I get sleep. But um, exercise for me, when that slips, that means that I'm getting close to being really bad. Yeah. So if I can go through a period, or if I'm going through a period where my anxiety is getting heightened or depression's getting heightened, then I really need to make sure I'm emphasizing the exercise I'm getting. That I make sure that I am uh, consistent with it. Yeah. Maybe I adjust it slightly so it's easier, but I make sure that I maintain that routine. And as a result, as we know, with exercise, yeah. your sleep's gonna improve. Yeah. If you're getting better sleep, then eventually your communication will start going up. Yeah. So you can begin to monitor your own well-being yeah. by looking at it that Awesome, I like that, it's really useful. Um, what do you think's holding we'll switch gears a little bit here right. men from being their true self so what's the biggest thing you've experienced as a man yourself or experienced maybe with potential people who've come to you for help what's the biggest mm. overarching thing for men and why they struggle to be open up and be themselves and be authentic if we had to pull it down to one or two things oh, um, so, so with our training we go to all corners of the UK really yeah. so we've been to Scotland Wales Somerset Manchester Newcastle loads of places <clears throat> um, I think that 
and, and every every bloke in each of those locations is different. Yeah. But I think overarchingly, it is the perception that um, that it's a vulnerability, and in in a way it is. But there's a, a perception that we're not allowed to be vulnerable, mm. and I think that that is what years and years ago that previous generation um i think that that's what they because men were so empowered and you know men are the be all and end all yeah um people have grown up with that view Mm. uh and people's fathers have have, you know kind of embedded that in them that you're the man of the house and there's this whole this whole perception of it that there is a an element that you're not allowed to be vulnerable yeah but um at the same time there is a <laughs> there is a, a weakness to that there's there's a weakness to not allowing yourself to be vulnerable um if you're allowed to be if you allow yourself to be vulnerable in, in a way you're stronger yeah. because you can accept um where you are who you are yeah and you own it yeah, you can yeah. accept that there are going to be periods of time that you are um, you are in need of an extra extra pair of hands, um, and you need um, you need some extra support. And there's not there's nothing sort of weak about that. Mm. In a way, carrying on, muddling through, um, in, in no doubt making some mistakes on the way, uh, and causing issues to relationships. There is a uh, if you look at it that it's causing that damage and as a result of you not being vulnerable you're causing damage um, there's more of a there's more issues associated to that so I think that (coughs) really drilling down into it it's it's kind of pride and strength that is the downfall of yeah of man (laughs) (laughs) ego (laughs) downfall of man (laughs) All right, cool. Um, so what does masculinity mean to you? So we kind of delved in a little bit into that. So what does it mean to you then? Um, masculinity, what does it mean to me? I think it goes back to being vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and being able to, especially whether you're, you know, whether you're part of the LGBTQ community or whether you've got a lady at home it's being able to be vulnerable with whoever you choose to be mm. um, and being honest about it and being honest with yourself because there isn't anything better and I've had you know conversations with um, partners yeah. and really getting to grips with how I'm feeling that day yeah. um, and the response that you get is incredible the relationship that you have um, the connection that you have, and um, I think that if you're able to have a real vulnerable connection with people in your life, um, versus you know being that ice cold, yeah, yeah, um, indestructible uh, sounding board, or rather than a rock, um, allows you as a as a as a man to develop much better relationships um so i think that that masculinity is is being vulnerable okay or allowing yourself to be vulnerable yeah 
And then what does the word empowerment mean to you? I think that empowerment is uh, knowledge in a way. Okay. Uh, I don't think that you can, for someone who hasn't, who has spent a lot of time in my life not feeling empowered. Yeah. Um, if I look back at those periods of time, it's because I didn't know what to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think that if you have the knowledge of what to do or the knowledge of what's going on in the first place. Yeah. So if that's where the, the you know being honest with yourself and um, being honest with how you feel, uh, there's there's people who have, uh, I've spoken to have, have used the phrase like feel your feelings. Yeah. So if you're feeling angry, you know, acknowledge that you're yeah. feeling angry. Don't don't hide kind it, of yeah. hide it or try to to shadow away from that fact. But um, I think that having having the knowledge of how you're feeling, how you're what you're experiencing and what you're going through and being honest with yourself allows you to know where you're at. Yeah. Um, and as a result, you can learn ways in which to deal with that mm. rather than kind of stabbing around in the dark. And I think if you do know how to deal with situations, you do know how you're feeling, you will naturally be empowered. Yeah. Awesome. Love that. And then if you could give one message to all men out there, what would it be and why? So you've got a big massive megaphone and said, what would you say to all the men in the world and why? Speak to people that are close to you. Not everybody. Yeah. Um, and speak to the people that are close to you because you will you will understand who is helpful and who's not. Um, there are, as a result of not speaking, mm. we develop relationships which are unhelpful, whether it's mm. uh, whether it's not having, uh, or whether it's contributing to negative coping habits or coping strategies we've got, um, whether it is people who don't allow us to talk about our vulnerabilities. Mm. All of those people are very unhelpful. And if you do want to improve your situation or you're not happy with your situation, um, the people around you are the most important thing that is going to be, a, is going to help you make that shift. So it's very difficult to, um, to make a change for the people that are around you and adjust who's in your support network yeah. or your friends. Um, it's very difficult to make that change, but uh, it's if you can identify these things and then you realise that people around you might not be that helpful, yeah. then then change it as soon as possible. Like the you know, average sum of the people you hang around with. Yeah. Whole lot, yeah. Yeah. So get get talking to people yeah. about your vulnerabilities, and if they are unable to help you, or they're not well, no. If they're not willing to help you or yeah. willing to listen, then don't have them in your life anymore. Cool. I'm not saying kill them or anything. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just I was thinking about it. Okay, good. Okay, good. I really don't want to sound like that. I really don't want to sound like that. 
Just yeah, go being bear him in the garden. <laughs> no, just um, just yeah, just slowly um, slowly push them away from from your your yeah. network yeah. because ultimately, if if they're not willing to make the change, then they will they will cause a big impact to you, and that's happened to me um, quite a lot mm. in the past. And um, and really, if if you are talking about maintenance factors or Things that are going to maintain your situation, the yeah. people around you are, are a massive, massive part yeah, of that. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. And then, uh, how can this platform help you? Oh, what I can ask. Yes. Ooh. And I can um, ask. So we ask have uh, a variety of <coughs> a variety of services. We train organisations. So we we want to really build these teams who can deliver these internal strategies. So every company we work with contributes to paying for children's sessions um, if there are adults out there who think that they need some support then they can come and reach out to us so if you're listening and you have if you work <laughs> tell your company about us yeah. um, if you think that anyone is particularly vulnerable then come speak to us um, just yeah we, we need to, to build build up this culture um, and change the culture because at the minute in this country it's not working mm. and it needs to have a shift so awesome. help us do it cool and then where can I find you or find more information about yeah so all on our website it's um, www.arthurellismhs.com stands for mental health support um, and yeah there's all of our services on there you can reach out directly or there's like self-referral forms we've also got information uh, on different conditions or different scenarios so we put guides out there just yeah. for free which uh, outlines um, if children are experiencing anxiety going back to school how to deal with that as a yeah. parent um, there's also a shop on there as well so you can buy some bracelets which uh, contribute towards our children's sessions so there's a variety of stuff on there that awesome. you can get information about cool and then I was going to ask one more thing I've totally escaped my mind. Ah, oh, I've lost it. That's all right. Well, I remember. Things are allowed I'll to. at the end. <laughs> there's, there's plenty that has escaped my mind in the past. Oh, what is it? <laughs> it's allowed. How about what you do? Damn it. Anyway, cool, awesome. Was it, was it just why? No. We've covered that. Yeah, Great detail. No, it was about people finding you, so... Ah, oh, forget it. <clears throat> I'll add it to the end if I remember it. No, yeah, well, cool. web website is yeah. the best way to go. And um, what, what we've kind of noticed before is that people reach out to us through social media and stuff as well so mkfm there's um on the radio yeah or on the yeah. radio yeah yeah mkfm yeah, yeah mkfm so we've, we've got time? we've got a radio show every sunday at seven uh on mkfm which is uh, if you're not free sunday at seven then it's then podcasted the day the, the day after so you can um just go onto their website um awesome and, and check it out there but we share loads of that on our socials which is just Arthur LSMHS on any platform that you might want to search cool. on. Awesome. Thanks, John. Last one. Thank you, guest. Last Cheers, man. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing by hitting the subscription button. And every week you'll get alerted on the latest podcast show. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs>